greetings to everybody. Okay, let's try this. He is risen. Way better than the first service. Uh, Can we give it up for the Redemption City Choir this morning? Okay. Particularly Renee. Great job, everybody. Okay. Well, thank you all for coming. A couple of quick things before we get into Luke chapter 24 today. Uh, We're going to talk about the resurrection. That's cool with everybody. So a couple of things. So if it's your first time, thank you. Keep coming. We want you to never miss again, okay? And so uh, we have a first-time guest gift for you in the back. There's like a nice Fort Worth mug and some information. And so please get that before you leave. We would love to have your information on the connection card that was in your seat. And then uh, you're really not going to be able to really see everything about us today, okay? So I challenge you to come three weeks in a row. If you're a first-time guest, okay? Yeah, amen. They're, see, even it's not just me that wants you to come back, okay? And so, and you can count today as one of the three weeks, okay? So come next week and the next week, and then if you hate the preaching and never want to come back, that's fine, okay? But give us three weeks, okay? So Easter, man, every preacher loves Easter. You know, today's a day of celebration, right? I mean, across the world, hundreds of millions, maybe over a billion people will gather today to proclaim that he is risen, that he is alive. And so we're here to celebrate that love is more powerful than death, that we're here to celebrate that Jesus died in our place on our behalf. The Bible says that Jesus died for you, that he he died for your sin, to take your sin onto himself on your behalf. And then three days later, He rose again to conquer death, hell, the grave. And so if you don't know Jesus today, the Bible says today's the day of salvation. Today's the perfect day to get to know him. And so the world's going to tell you, you probably heard this message before, to just do you. You know, follow your heart, chart your own course, do what makes you happy. But that just doesn't work. (laughs) You know, it sounds really good at first, and we all kind of try it. But then you kind of figure out that you, I don't really know everything I know for me to chart my own course and for me to do me and these different things. And so the fact that Jesus is offering to forgive your sin today presupposes that you're a sinner, that you've done some things wrong. And so, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just call you out. You're a sinner. He calls you up. He wants a relationship with you. And so many, if not all of you have heard Jesus' famous saying when he said, I am the way, the truth, I'm the life, and nobody comes to God the Father except through me. And that we can kind of bristle against, bristle against that and go, ah, that kind of sounds exclusive. That doesn't, what does that mean for, and, and I get that. But what he's trying to tell you this morning is there's nobody else coming for you. There's no other God or idol, anybody else who loves you enough to take your sin and to forgive you and to make you new and whole again. Nobody's coming for you. So he came down the mountain to love us and to care for us. And, you know, Um, that money can't save you. I know it seems like those pleasures will never satisfy. Nobody can save you except for Jesus. All right, I'm I'm already preaching, so let's get into the text. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Keep your Bibles open today. If you don't have one, that's fine. We have it on the screen, but uh, we're going to walk all the way through this chapter today. Verse 1, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went into the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. So some of Jesus' friends Uh, took some spices on Sunday to go and care for his body because they expected to find a dead body. They thought even after all the things, you know, uh, Amy just read Isaiah 53, after all the prophecies and all the things that Jesus had said, they still expected him to, like everybody else who's ever died, stay dead, right? Verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, how's that possible? Somebody brought a forklift or how did somebody move a two-ton boulder out out from in front of the grave? Verse 3 and 4. Oh, by the way, before I get to verse 3, um, the they there in verses 1 and 2 are all women. 
Come on, somebody. The most significant moment of all time, the most impactful moment of all of history, our God chose an all-female crew to uncover the story and break the news. Go ahead and read into that fact this morning. Okay, look at verse 3 and 4. But when they, uh, but when they went into the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They were perplexed about all this, and behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. So verses 3 and 4, what we see is, so they're perplexed, the ladies are perplexed, they're scared, they're not really sure what's going on, and then two angels appear, and we don't know a lot about them, but we know what they were wearing was absolutely fabulous. It was dazzling, as it were. Then look at verses 5 and 6. And as they were frightened, the ladies were scared, and they bowed their faces to the ground. The men, the angels said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead. He is not here, but is risen. These seven words, he is not here, but is risen, have changed history. They've changed my life. Uh, these seven words are why we're here today. You're not here just to dress in bright colors and have a sweet family picture later. I hope you get that up top. Okay, you're not just here because it's, it's a sweet Texas tradition to go to church on Easter. You're here because Jesus is the Son of God. You're here because Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he said he would do, that Jesus Christ is risen and alive. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future and life is worth living just because he lived. He is not here, but he's risen. And we may ask why. That's kind of dramatic for God to step into human history. This is, why did he do this? Why did God's son step into human history and live a perfect life? Why? It's because he cares. It may not always feel like that to you, but Jesus cares about what's happening in your life. He, he isn't above stepping into our mess to become one of us, to show us the way back home to him again. And Jesus loves you. Every person in here, no matter your background, no matter what you did last night or last year, he loves you. So he rose again to defeat death and give you life, life abundantly. And I love the question that the angels asked the women in verse 5. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And we still do this. We, we look all around what this world offers us to give us life. We look to dead things to give us life, but they never will. You know this, like, but money won't bring you life. Money can't make you happy. And we're all like, yeah, but like maybe one million. Maybe I'd, I would be happier, I think. So, uh, and there's nothing wrong with money. Money's not bad. It's just not able to bring life. It cannot deliver on its promises that it makes to you. Americans, okay, spend more on lottery tickets than movies, video games, sporting events, music, and books combined, okay? So we're like, why? Why do those people, why do those people do that, right? What, what do we think that those millions will bring for us? Have you ever noticed that the Mega Millions billboards only have the amount of money that you're, they're playing. They only have the amount of money that you're going to win. So every other billboard makes a promise or an appeal to you. There's like a 24-hour fitness billboard on I-20, and it says strength. So what it's promising you is, if you'll join our gym, you'll be stronger emotionally and physical. But Megan Billions doesn't even bother to sell you anything. They just put the number, and they know that we'll take it from there. We think that money is really going to finally do it for us. At the Oscars this year, uh, where no punches were thrown, I was kind of disappointed. That was kind of the fun part last year, but I'll repent about that later. But So Lady Gaga said, we all need heroes. And you will find that you can be your own hero if you just look inside. I don't have that in me. Like, I'm generally happy with the choices I've made, but I don't have a hero inside of me. You know, way back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they looked at the tree that God had warned them. God said, if you partake of that tree, you will surely die. And they looked at the tree that God said would hurt them, and they go, looks pretty good to me, though. 
I see good in what you call bad, Lord. And so the world will tell you that you have the right to say what goodness is, but we simply are not equipped to make that call. Just like my five, I have uh, three kids, 10, 9, and 5, my 5-year-old, he is not equipped to make his own nutrition choices. He will only eat, you know, bunny-shaped chocolate today if he has the choice. So we, because I love him, I help him with good nutrition, right? So, but he's the third baby, so not, it's mainly chicken nuggets and mac and cheese, but that's, but anyway, so John 10, 10 says that Jesus came to give you life, and not just any old life, but life abundantly. So if you're following in the way of this world, okay, you're hoping that you find peace. And we all try different ways. Some of us try to find peace by being good. Some of us try to find peace by being bad, but we, all these different ways, but we end up emptier than before. And I just have to ask, what has the world ever done for you to make, it, to make you love it so much? Has it ever delivered on any of its promises to you? Sin always hides the price tag. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a store or like a restaurant that doesn't have the prices listed. You know what that means? It's expensive, okay? Sin always hides the price tag. It promises you happiness and peace and fulfillment, but it always leaves you wanting more and it never fulfills you. It costs you everything. Jesus came to free you from the endless cycle of hope and disappointment, new car disappointment, new job disappointment, okay? And he came to set you free, and who the sun sets free is free indeed. In a world that's desperate for real love, desperate for real meaning, desperate for an actual hero, I offer these seven words this morning. He is not here, but is risen. After the angel's announcement in verse to Mary Magdalene and Jesus' other friends in verse 6, they run to tell Jesus' other disciples that he is alive. So, it's, so that's one scene, and we're going to pick back up there in just a minute. So, that, so they run off to tell the disciples, and then Luke cuts to another scene where Jesus is walking along the road, Okay, with two other disciples, two other followers of, of his, and, and they're having a conversation. So Jesus shows up to these two guys, and they don't know that it's him. They're having a conversation with resurrected Jesus on, res, on the actual resurrected Sunday, and they have no idea that it's him. And they're saying all these different things, and so they're like, you can read it later, like, hey, yeah. So he, he asks them, hey, what's happening in Jerusalem? And they're like, are you living under a rock the past couple of days? Like, okay, uh, so... Like, they said that the dads in the room were like, yeah, I'm taking that. Dads, you can have that dad joke. So they say different things to resurrected Jesus. They're like, yeah, we were hoping that he was the Messiah, the Savior that we've been waiting on for a few thousand years, but like, he's dead now. Now, some sisters are saying he's alive, but we don't really know what to make of it. We're not really sure what's going on. And then in verses 25 to 27 to these guys who were so confused, he said to them, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe, that's me, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? All this was necessary. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to these disciples and all the scriptures the thing concerning himself. What I would give for a transcript of that sermon. Jesus explaining how the Old Testament is all about him. How every page in this book, in this book is all about Jesus. I wonder if he explained that he's a true and better Moses who has conquered our Pharaoh of Satan and liberated us to worship him and fulfilled the law in our place. I wonder if Jesus mentioned to these guys that he's the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. I wonder if Jesus commented on how he's the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, sufferer who intercedes and saves his foolish friends. And maybe Jesus touched on how he's the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Uh, I wonder if they got around to discussing that Jesus is the real Passover lamb. Innocent, 
perfect, uh, slain to the slain, so the angel of death would pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. He's the one that all of history centers on. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords, and this entire book is about Jesus. I don't know what all Jesus taught them in verses 25 to 27, but I bet it was a killer sermon. I look forward to asking one day. So they finish their walk, they have a bite to eat, and then their eyes are open, and they're like, we were with Jesus the whole time, you're alive. And then he vanishes, and that's so Jesus. And so then look at verses 34 and 35. They find the other 11 apostles, and these two guys say, the Lord is risen indeed. He's appeared to us. He's appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So let's read the rest of the story all the way to verse 43. And as they were talking about these things, so now everybody's together. From all three scenes, all the disciples, everybody who's followed Jesus is together in one room. And Jesus himself stood among them. He just kind of walks in the wall, walks through the wall, and said to them, Hey, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he was like, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands. Look at my feet. It's me. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have right now. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet where he had been pierced. And while they still disbelieved uh, for joy and were marveling, he said to them, hey, I got anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate. So he showed him his hands where he received the beating that they deserved. His feet where he was pierced, where I should have been pierced on the cross. I sinned and yet Jesus took the blame. I erupted in anger, and yet Jesus was pierced. I lied, and yet Jesus was hung on the cross. You know, Jesus really is great. Uh, I turned 40 next year, so I've become very reminiscent. Uh, And the older I get and the longer I'm with Jesus, the better he is. The more I learn about him, and that's what Jessa's story was all about. She's two years into this new life in Christ, and it gets better and better and better. And you think, you know, I've heard this, was, this is my 38th Easter, and it's like I'm reading it fresh every year because he's so good, he's so loving. And, you know, one thing, for a long time, I rebelled against God, kind of my story, uh, and uh, was agnostic, did not believe uh, that, I thought that there was a God, but not that we could know him in a personal way like Jesus. And one of the facts that kind of brought me back to faith was every single person in this scene, okay, a ton of people, they all died saying, it's true. He, we saw him die, and we saw him alive again. And, you know, just think of the 11 disciples, okay? All of them died, killed, and they died saying, it's true. It's a fact. And so people don't die for a lie. They don't. So if you remember the Watergate scandal a few couple generations ago, President Nixon was in a lot of trouble. Okay, now we know that he had to resign. But when it really started heating up and it became clear that he was in real, you know, trouble of like losing his presidency and all this stuff because of what he had done, five or six of his top advisors got together and they got in this room and they go, okay, here's the story we're going to tell. Here's our lie. And, if, and here's the script. And if we all stick together, we all say this and we don't break President Nixon is going to be fine. Okay, maybe we'll go to jail. Maybe some bad things will happen. But we can protect the president if we all stick together and we say this story. And these are tough guys, like CIA guys, generals in the Army, like not pushovers, okay? But within a week, they had all taken deals (laughs) because people don't die for a lie. And yet all of these people died saying, it's true. 
Jesus was dead, then he came back to life. They were killed for it, like I said. And so that gives me a lot of confidence that all this is true. Does anyone also find it peculiar that when Jesus was just out of the tomb in Luke 24, okay, uh, he just, you know, biggest day in history, they sit and have a meal. You know, of, <laughs> of all the things to do in that moment, I get why he shows them his pierced hands. What a moment, right? I get why he says, peace to you, because he knew they were going to be scared and almost think they saw a spirit. But to sit and have some broiled fish, you know, if I was Jesus' agent, the first thing I would do is book him on the Tonight Show, get him a blue check mark on all the platforms, and really push this news out to, you know, far and fast across the world. But Jesus sits and have a, has a meal with his friends because he's all about relationship. This is so Jesus. And that's why we talk about he wants a relationship with you. Yeah, he'll clean your slate. He'll make it as if you've never sinned before. He'll, he'll take your sin onto himself. Yeah, he'll give you a clean slate. Yeah, you get to go to heaven one day, but also you get to live with him every single day and it gets sweeter and better. He wants a relationship with you that you grow into and you walk away. From, you won't be perfect overnight, okay? But you walk away from the things of this world and into Christ over and over again. So he's inviting you to leave the burdensome ways of this world where, you know, in the world, you got to earn your way. You're accepted based on what you bring to the table. Walk away from that. And for you to step into his way that's easy and his burden that's light. We've been walking through the gospel of Luke as a church. And in Luke 9, Jesus is talking to Peter and he asks him, hey, who do the crowds say that I am? What's everybody saying about me? And they answered, uh, they, you know, they say you're like John the Baptist, but you know, some are saying you're like Elijah and other prophets that you've risen from the dead, you're like them. And then Jesus makes it very personal. He says to Peter, who do you say that I am? Uh, and Peter answered, you're the Christ of God. And so who do you say that Jesus is? Fort Worth, people around Fort Worth might say he's a good teacher, he's a loving prophet. Maybe they appreciate some of the things that Jesus said, but it becomes very personal very quickly. Who do you say that Jesus is? Once you come to Christ today, if you're apart from him, you know, don't you see his vision for your life? Uh, the, world has been, the world has been preaching a gospel to you that if you'll follow your heart and do you and get rich and gain a lot of followers, you're finally going to feel fulfilled. But that's a hamster wheel that you never get to your intended destination. Jesus' vision for your life is so much bigger and better than that anyway. He wants to save you. He wants to be your life. In Jesus' kingdom, the first or last and the last are first. It's a kingdom where the powerful serve the weak, where the wealthy give to the poor, where the lonely are set in families, where the hated tax collector is invited to an open table, where the leper is embraced, where the demonized are set free, where those entrenched in sin and addiction are forgiven and made whole again. It's a kingdom where love is the highest value, where it's a kingdom of peace and grace and justice and generosity and compassion, and he's inviting you into that kingdom today. There's a video that goes around kind of every Easter now about the thief on the cross with one of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg, and I've been thinking about that. Look, just a chapter before in Luke 23. So Jesus is on the cross. It wasn't just him. There's two men on either, there's a man, uh, there's a man on either side of him, but they're guilty. Like Jesus is innocent. He is taking our sin, but these guys, they're like guilty of what they're charged with. And, and one of those guys said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said back to him, truly, I say to you, you will be with me today in paradise. And, you know, this, this thief was never baptized. You know, he, he never gave any money to the church. He never served in the kids ministry. He probably wouldn't have, you know, passed the background check anyway. So 
Jesus didn't take the thief's pain away. He didn't take him off the cross right then. He didn't take his pain away. He gave the man something he didn't even know to ask for, you know. So, you know, you may not be searching for God today, but I'll tell you this, he's searching for you. Uh, He loves you so much, you're the apple of his eye. He loves you so much that he wants to take the penalty of your sin onto himself and give you new life. Won't you come to Christ today? Um, Not because you're good, but because he's good. You know, the thief on the cross did not impress Jesus. Jesus just loved him. A couple of months ago, uh, my middle son, Cole, he's nine. It's 3 a.m., so I'm asleep. And he taps me on the shoulder. I'm like, oh, hey, buddy. And he goes, is now a bad time? And, but no, for my son, it's never a bad time. Always, what do you need, buddy? If I can help you, I'm in. And so sometimes when we're coming back to church, or maybe we've never been to church before, maybe that's you today, and we think, okay, you know, I love this message. I, I want to be forgiven, and I want grace and love and hope in my life. And I, I, I can feel what you're saying. I can feel that I'm going the wrong way, and that the choices that I keep making are not helping me, but hurting me. I get all that, but maybe now's not a great time. Maybe I'll clean up first, and maybe in a couple of months I'll come back, and then I'll be ready to follow Christ. There's never a better, better moment than right now to follow Jesus. And you can't clean up. You're never going to be clean enough to, to, to merit, to earn what God wants to give you today, and that's free salvation. That's what the Bible calls it. That's the biblical words, the free gift of salvation. If you wouldn't mind bowing your head and closing your eyes just for a second. If you want to follow Jesus in a personal way today, there's nothing. Uh, so if you want to follow Jesus in a personal way today, you can just pray a prayer, repeat after me in your heart like this. You can pray, God, save me. I, I want to be accepted by you. I want to turn from my sin. I want to turn from my way. And I want to be free in you. God, save me. In Jesus' name, amen. You can look up. I think by now you can tell that we want you to be part of our church, okay? And so if you made the decision now to, to follow Jesus in a personal way, we'd love to talk to you. There's people at Guest Central at the Connect table. I'll be around, me and other pastors and elders and deacons. We'd love to talk to you. We'll baptize you next Sunday. I mean, we'll get after it, okay? So uh, in the scriptures, after somebody makes the decision to follow Jesus, there's always next steps. They, they get into the church and they are baptized and they take the next steps of faith. So I encourage you to take the initiative there. Okay, we'll walk, we'll walk you through it, of course, but take the initiative and take the next steps in Christ, okay? Okay.